0: Amen. Thanks, Zach. Morning, everyone. Welcome to Restoration. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to be with you. Whether you have been attending with us for a while or you're a member here, you're visiting. We're glad to, to see you this morning. So from our scripture reading this morning, you will uh, note that we're in a series in the letter of 1 Thessalonians. The first couple weeks of this series, uh, Dan has taken us almost all the way through chapter 2. So we picked up where he left off in just the last few verses of that, and then all of chapter 3, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Now a little bit of context, if you'll remember, Paul was in the city of Thessalonica for some amount of time, it wasn't real long, but it was long enough that he preached there, and a church formed around his preaching, his preaching about the resurrection of Jesus. But that wasn't the only thing that developed from his time there. It also caused a lot of unrest and a lot of danger for Paul and for the new members of this church. In fact, so much danger that Paul had to leave the city. His life was under threat as he was preaching this message. So Paul's worried about this church after he's left. He's worried about what's going to happen to them. And so he sends his disciple Timothy back to Thessalonica to check in on them, to see how they're doing. Timothy returns from this visit, and he gives a report to Paul about how the church is doing. And in response to that report, Paul writes this letter, 1 Thessalonians. So in our series, we've been looking at the letter, and we've been studying this young church to see what we could learn from her. This was 2,000 years ago. But what did this church do in response to their suffering That we can learn from. If the resurrection gives birth to a church, then what kind of community is formed from that? Well, over the first two weeks, we heard from Dan that one of the things that was formed was a new community. And the second thing was a gospel community. And we're going to pick up with that same theme this week. And we're going to see how the resurrection forms an enduring community. But before we do that, let's take just a moment and pray. Father, we ask that this morning you would help us to learn from this young church in Thessalonica. Help us to see how the resurrection of Jesus formed them into an enduring community. And let us learn from that. Let us learn how we might be formed by the resurrection into the kind of community that you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You're going to hear a lot of running illustrations this morning. You heard from Zach already. You're going to hear from me in a minute because running has a lot to do with endurance. I had a high school soccer coach who felt like physical endurance was one of, if not the most important aspect of being a soccer player. So he would constantly have us running outside of our normal practices, outside of our games. Now, I grew up in Kentucky right outside of Fort Knox military base. And as many of you know, physical endurance is a big deal to the military as well. So there were a lot of uh, courses and obstacles on this base, a lot of locations that you might say were very useful in developing someone's physical endurance. And so our coach would take us out to Fort Knox. He would have us run this seven-mile course. But about halfway through the run, there were these two very large, very steep hills. Now, to call them hills actually doesn't really do them justice. Um, the, the, The hills were so steep that the soldiers had given these two hills nicknames. They called them Agony and Misery. Now, I, I even in preparation for this sermon, I even Googled the two names of them with Fort Knox, and there's an article on the U.S. Army website about these two hills, Agony and Misery. That's how infamous they were. So these were not normal hills. So you'd run about half of this seven-mile course. You would hit these hills. You'd have to go down them and then back up them in order to finish your run. And I'll just tell you that going up these hills was the most physically trying thing that I've ever done. In fact, a lot of guys would be crawling by the time that they were halfway up or reached the top. You couldn't even run anymore. It was mentally and physically exhausting to go up these hills. And what I learned from that experience and why the Army uses these kind of hills for training soldiers is that endurance just doesn't come out of nowhere. It's not magic that you just develop endurance all of a sudden. Endurance only comes from trial and suffering. Whatever kind of endurance you're talking about, whether that's physical, emotional, mental, spiritual endurance, whatever it is, it's formed through some kind of suffering. And that Bible agrees with that. In fact, Romans 5 says, suffering produces endurance. And that's what we see in our passage this morning. Paul knew that any church that was built on the truth of the resurrection was going to suffer. Now, we're not going to get into all of the specific details about what this suffering looked like, but it is helpful to give a very quick overview of what, it, what it, some clues that our passage gives us about how serious this suffering was for this church. We'll look at not just the church, but also for Paul. Look, start in verse 17. Paul immediately says he was torn away from them. So we know he had to leave because there was this threat to his own life, so much so that he had to leave quickly, and he felt like he was torn away from them. Then he says that he wanted to return to them, but Satan prevented him. We don't know how Satan prevented him, but clearly Paul believes Satan himself was involved in stopping Paul from returning to this church. A little bit farther down in verses 3 and 5, Paul confesses that he was worried about this church. He was worried that they would be, quote, moved by these afflictions, or that the tempter had tempted them and shaken their faith. So he's afraid that this suffering was so severe that this church might walk away from their faith. Later in the letter, not in our passage this morning, Paul's going to talk about How the church should grieve those he says has fallen asleep, which implies that maybe even people have died from this suffering and persecution that's happening. So we can see, whatever the details are, that there was severe suffering happening for both Paul as he was at a distance and for this community of Christians because of their commitment to Jesus. Physical, emotional, spiritual suffering And so we we recognize in this passage that, that suffering is a real threat to our faith. It's a real danger to faith. Paul was really worried about how this young church would respond in the face of this suffering. Would they abandon the truth of the resurrection? Would their community fall apart? Because human nature does not like to suffer. When I was running out or crawling up that hill, every part of my body was screaming at me to quit, to give up. But as much as Paul recognizes the, the danger of suffering to faith, the threat of suffering to faith, he also knows that suffering can produce endurance. So then the question for us is, what kind of endurance do we see produced in this young church from their suffering. Well, this morning we're going to look at three kinds of endurance that were produced, three characteristics of endurance, enduring love, enduring faith, and enduring hope produced in this church. We'll talk about all three of those, and then we'll close with a little bit of application about the three for us today. So let's look briefly at first, enduring love. Look back at the passage again. What was the response of Paul and the Thessalonians to this suffering that we just talked about? We'll look at verse 17 again. Paul said, I was torn away from you in person, but then what does he add? But not in heart. Then he says, because of that, we endeavored more and more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. A little farther down, he calls them his glory and his joy before Jesus. The beginning of chapter 3, verse 1, he says he sent Timothy because I couldn't bear to not know what was happening with you. Verse 6, Timothy returns, and how did the people respond? What were their feelings toward Paul? Paul says, Timothy returned with good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. In response to that, Paul says, now we live if you're standing fast in the Lord. He prays night and day to see them again face to face. And then in verse 12, he prays and says, I want your love for one another to increase and abound in the same way that my love does for you. Now I want you to remember, Paul was only with this church for a short period of time. But look at the way that he speaks to them. Look at the way that they respond to him. Isn't it amazing to see the depth of love and commitment that he has for them and they have for him and one another? in the midst of this kind of persecution and suffering. But that's what the Bible says that suffering does. It creates a, natu- a supernatural, enduring love. Now I want to pause for just a moment because we've been talking about suffering this morning in some maybe strange ways for you. Maybe you're a little uncertain about the way that we're talking I mean, we just connected suffering to love. So you might be a little bit confused about some of the ways that we're talking about suffering. It might sound like we see suffering as a good thing. And I understand why you would feel that confusion. I'd love to talk more, you know, after this sermon or whatever about it. It's a very complicated subject, but I wanted to offer just a moment of clarification to help in the way that the Bible and Christians think about suffering as we move forward and talk about it. So first, the Bible is very clear that suffering is going to come to people who follow Jesus. We're not ashamed to say that. Because Jesus lived a life of suffering, and so for us to have new life in him means we're joining in his pattern of life. Living a life in Jesus's kingdom is going to lead us to live counter to many of the ways that the world's kingdom operates. And that's going to bring different kinds of suffering into our life. In fact, Jesus himself said, if you follow me, there's going to be suffering. But we want to be clear that Christians are not to seek out suffering. That's not what we're talking about this morning. We're also not to celebrate suffering for its own sake. Rather, what we're recognizing this morning, what I hope you're seeing, is that as we're talking about suffering, we're recognizing that suffering is part of the life of Jesus, and so is going to be part of our lives, and so it's not pointless. We're not seeking it out. We're not celebrating it but we're recognizing that it is purposeful. It does have a direction. God uses it in some of the ways that we're going to talk about this morning. So again, there's a much deeper conversation there about suffering and the way that Christians understand that. I would love to talk about it. But if you're confused a little bit as we've been talking about suffering, I just wanted to offer that clarification. So we've said that suffering produces this supernatural, enduring love in this church. And that actually, if you think about it, makes sense in the human experience of life. As human beings, there is a unity of love that we see formed from suffering. We've all heard stories about people that have gone through some sort of suffering then coming together and forming a community of love around that suffering, whether it's groups of survivors of trauma, whether it's abuse or addiction recovery programs, groups that gather around a shared experience of illness or death. Suffering has a way of bringing people together into communities of love. There's something about the way that God has designed the human spirit that it does that. But enduring love isn't the only thing we see present in this church we're looking at this morning. Because remember, we said that Paul has a real fear that the Thessalonians' suffering would destroy something. And he says his fear is that it would destroy their faith. Their living belief and trust in the resurrection. Fortunately, Timothy brings this report... And it turns out that there's good news. What does Paul say? Timothy brought good news of your love and faith. In verse 7, Paul says that he's comforted about them through their faith. Paul's encouraged here because rather than seeing their suffering as a threat to their faith, the Thessalonians have understood that suffering is part of their faith. Look at verses 3 through 5 again. Paul says, I warned you beforehand that suffering was coming. Suffering is part of your destiny as followers of Jesus. And then in verse 5 he says, for this reason I sent Timothy so that I could learn about your faith. He knew that they would be tempted to either see suffering as an outside threat to their faith, or they would understand it to be what it really is, a part of their faith as Jesus' followers. One commentator said it this way. He said, initially, Paul deeply feared that the intense persecutions would shake the Thessalonians and that they had not really understood the truth that suffering was part and parcel of serving the one true God. But again, when Timothy brings this report, Paul's overjoyed because he recognizes they have grasped this vital truth. They've remained faithful in suffering. Their faith is endured. That's why he says, You're my glory and my joy when the Lord returns. Their enduring faith is proof that the gospel works. That his labor has not been in vain as he feared in verse 5. And that's what the resurrection does. The resurrection of Jesus creates a community where faith endures. Why? Well, because the resurrection is proof that suffering is not the end of the story. Suffering is not pointless. Our faith can stand in the midst of... Of suffering. Suffering can be part of our faith because Jesus suffered and rose from the dead again. So, a better question is how can a resurrection church not be a community of enduring faith? Well, I want to close with our last point, which is the only way I think that could happen is if that church lost its hope. But fortunately, I think the resurrection also creates a community of enduring hope. Look at the bookends of our passage this morning. Verse 19 of chapter 2 and then verse 13 of chapter 3. Both of them talk about the hope for this community to endure in love and faith. And that foundation is the enduring hope of Jesus' return. 1 Thessalonians as a whole letter is one about Jesus' return. Another commentator put it this way. He says, The hope of Jesus coming back provides the context where a life of faith and love that's led to persecution makes sense. In other words, for a church that's built on the truth of the resurrection, that's then living a life of faith and love, that's going to bring suffering. But the hope of Jesus coming back is the only way for that to make any sense. Because the hope of Jesus' return gives that endurance of love and faith a direction, what we call a telos, a goal. And so a community that endures in love and faith must also endure in hope. The hope of Jesus' return. So we've looked at those three things. Enduring love, enduring faith, and enduring hope. What does that mean for Restoration Community Church 2,000 years later? What does that mean for us today? Well, I hope you realize that it means the same thing. It means that Jesus is forming us into that kind of community. A community that can endure in love, faith, and hope. So what does that look like? How do we endure in love? What does it look like to love one another in the deep, hard ways? In the times where there's suffering and difficulty and danger. Take COVID as an example. Like Paul, we've been separated from one another physically for the past year. But while he was separated physically, Paul says also, I wasn't separated in heart. So how have you not been separated from one another in heart during this? How have you sought to love one another even at a distance? To serve and care for each other, even when physically separated? How about as we begin to be able to return to physical presence with one another again safely wisely do you long for that like Paul longed to be back together physically with one another do you have a longing in your heart to be back together with one another because there's something about the physical presence of one another in the body of Jesus do you have a burden in your heart like Paul did to know about your brothers and sisters to hear their stories, to learn about them. What does enduring love look like in a pandemic at Restoration Community Church? What about enduring faith? Well, it's not shocking to anyone to hear that in our country right now, both inside and outside the church, there is a lot of divisiveness over the Christian faith. It's becoming more and more socially costly to hold to Christian views on things, our views on sexuality or money or family or justice or race. We're going to see over the next few weeks some of those moral and ethical implications of this type of community. That's where Paul goes in this letter. But our faith has an opportunity in the midst of a lot of divisiveness in the culture in the midst of a lot of pressure and suffering that could come in a lot of different ways, we have an opportunity to endure. Now, I don't necessarily see a time in our lifetime in America where we would physically suffer for our faith, but there's going to be an increasing social cost to following Jesus. And our brothers and sisters around the world do suffer physically for their faith. What does it look like for us to stand in enduring faithfulness. Because make no mistake about it, Satan does not want restoration to be a church that remains unshaken in faith. So, are we prepared to endure faithfully together? And finally, enduring hope. When you hear these challenges, when we talk about enduring in love, enduring in faith, when you get a picture in your mind's eye of how difficult that could be, where do you find comfort? What allows you to press on and love in the midst of a pandemic? Or to live in faith in the midst of a hostile culture? Let it be the hope of Jesus' return. The Apostle Peter in one of his letters says this, He says, we are born again to a living hope. The hope of Jesus' return when we can rest on that fully. When I was running or crawling up Misery and Agony Hill, do you know what kept me going? I didn't have pancakes at the end like Zach. What kept me going was it that I knew my body would be in better shape if I kept going. Was it that I knew my coach would be impressed with me, maybe I'd get more playing time if I kept going? No. In the moment of suffering, when it hurt bad that I wanted to quit, I kept going because I knew at the top of the hill there was rest. And my hope in that rest drove me to finish. The good news this morning for us is that rest is coming. Jesus made sure of that when he rose from the grave. He is going to return and bring rest. And when he brings that ultimate rest, there will no longer be a need for us to endure anymore. But until then, let's be a community that endures in love and faith, and hope. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is faithful and true and that we can rest that even in this church 2,000 years ago, in different circumstances than ours, with different people and a whole different world and culture, that we can still learn from the work your spirit does. That we can rest in the work that Jesus has done for us, that we can endure in love, faith, and hope because Jesus has risen from the grave. So, Father, be with us as we come to the table. Be with us as we celebrate together. Amen.